live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by libertarian Bruno Barron, Republican Marty Garrity, and Democrat Dan Johnson. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you want to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. And if you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. You can join us on the World Wide Web at Beyond. TheBeltway.com. That's the audio and video portion of the show, as well as live on Facebook, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont, Facebook page, wherever you're listening around the world, you can join us that way. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, national politics for the next couple of hours, as we always do. And I want to begin by talking about uh, the president's decision to call a national emergency last week regarding uh, the border, issues on the border. He thinks there's a national security crisis down there. And he did that in the wake of getting a congressional uh, recommendation, congressional proposal, uh, drawn together by Republicans and Democrats that were going to address the need for briefing up uh, the the, uh, border security. He wasn't pleased with it, and then he went to a national security. Is that a good idea, Bruno Barron? Um, I, you'd have to do the comparison of all of the different national emergencies and whether it fits within the framework of that or not. Um, obviously, people who are pro-immigration uh, are going to say that there's no national emergency down there. I think there's, a, there's enough information on both sides to have a debate. The, the biggest worry, especially uh, from a libertarian perspective, so to speak, is as more and more of this stuff goes on, Obama used a, talked about having a pen and a phone, um, this is clearly Donald Trump using a pen and a phone um, to uh, uh, to get his way across. Uh, even the people who are really in favor of what he's doing might want to question, like, next time there's, like, two back-to-back shootings, are they going to use a national emergency to um, curtail gun rights? Are they going to use a national emergency to do all other kinds of things? It's a slippery slope. Marty Garrity, you're our card-carrying Republican tonight. Are you pleased <clears throat> with what the president did? Uh, not not completely, but I, I do disagree with Bruno about the pen and the phone thing because this, the pen and the phone were totally extra legal. They were extra constitutional, extra legal. The National Emergency Act says, I'll pass a, uh, this national emergency. I'll give it to the Senate. I'll give it to the House. You guys vote on it. If you defeat it, uh, if you turn me down, uh, I'll, I can veto it. If I veto it and it goes into effect, then it's it, it's in effect, but it's it is within it is is part of the law. The pen and the phone that Obama used had nothing to do with the law. Dan Johnson is our card carrying Democrat. Dan, welcome. Thank uh, you. Great to be here. What uh, is your uh, response to a national emergency? The president says there's an emergency on the border. Well, of course, on the facts, there is no emergency. You know, um, immigration's at its lowest point. Crime from the southern borders at its lowest point. And I thought Mexico was supposed to pay for that law. I, I thought this was another failed promise from President Trump, and he couldn't get his way with Congress. So the president, who made his whole point about being you know, the deal maker and the art of the deal, failed completely with the Congress. And so now he's doing an end run. So it's a bad policy, and uh, I think it's bad politics for him. But in, in 1976, Congress passed legislation 
giving the President of the United States, whoever the President was, the ability to do what he did. I mean, isn't... I'm not saying he's a fascist for doing it. I'm not saying it's totally illegal. I'm just saying there's 10 or 20 other things that are bigger emergencies than migration on our southern border. It is completely facile to say that there's no emergency. If you can't control your border... if We can. can, We have. No, we're not. 400,000 people came in in 2018. 400,000 people illegally entered the United States in 2016 at the border, not at the at the points at the uh, at the um, uh, uh, office uh, or the ports of entry. Ports of entry. This this is a, a terrible emergency. Plus, the people who are who are coming there, many of them are children, and they're they're being badly abused by the by the uh, people who. Say, hey, I'm with this kid, and and this. What I don't like about this uh, this uh, uh, national emergency bill, or I'm sorry, this uh, uh, agreement, is that it permits those guys who bring who who show up with a kid and say, I'm with this kid. At that point, no one can ever challenge their their uh, 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 legal status as as an asylum seeker. And That's they can't a terrible come, thing. And they can't come after them if right. they're if they're custody. Right. So did they, did this piece of le- did this bipartisan piece of legislation, Bruno, make things worse? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I haven't looked at every detail of it, um, but eleven thousand pages. Uh, well, and there should be. You know, one of the things we need to put in the Constitution is that no bill can be longer than five pages. Um, you know, an eleven thousand page bill—that's just nonsense. Um, but that's the way Congress works. It's worked that way under both parties for way too long. Um, so I've read some articles that you know, I've, I've commentary that says that. Uh, uh, Pelosi handed Trump his head. I've seen others that say that there's some stuff in there that's really um, much more than people would have thought. Uh, there was one link I looked at today. Uh, I, one of the things I will say, and I've not been a Donald Trump fan despite the fact that I come you know, almost entirely from the right, right and, and even as a social conservative, if there's one thing that Donald Trump has done with this issue is, number one, he's moved the needle. People have changed their minds based on the things that he's said and done. And number two, he seems to be the only person in the world, whether he's going about it the wrong way or the right way, depending on your opinion, who's actually trying to do something about this where both presidents from both parties have kicked this can down the road and seem to want the issue more for a whipping uh, uh, a horse than uh, to actually solve the problem. I would. Ju- I mean, uh, it's a political show, so thinking ahead to yes. 2020. Um, plain speaking, Donald Trump, it's hard for him to ever overcome this what are we going to do? We're going to build a wall. Who's going to pay for it? Mexico. Just kidding. You are. And I couldn't get Congress to pay for it, so I'm going to declare a national emergency. That's a heavy anchor on his ability to say, I'm a plain-speaking, truth-telling guy who follows through on campaign but he promises. Is, but he is going to be saying that, that no one on the political landscape is fighting harder for this than him. He may not, <coughs> he may not make it. But he certainly can't say between the courts, uh, courts and everything else, he's going to, uh, he's going to make that case. I, when you, when and, you, I, and again, a lot of people in the base, and I want to hear them if they're listening to the program this evening, there's, there's a lot of people in the base, I'm told, that are upset with the president about this. Ann Coulter is upset about this. But, you know, I said on this show a couple of weeks ago, who cares what Ann Coulter says? She called <laughs> the president of an idiot now well, so, because he didn't say much about her in the press conference. The president is a very, very high-quality troll, and he trolls the Democrats very well, but he, at least he's the president. Uh, Ann Coulter is nothing but a troll. The, the interesting thing here, and this goes to Dan's point, I think Trump is in trouble if he doesn't 
get the wall or if he doesn't isn't seen fighting very hard for it which you can say he's doing right now i don't i don't think anybody took him seriously when he said he was going to get mexico to pay for it but they do take him seriously on getting some kind of wall only I the mean, democrats took him seriously on that and, and, and that's in rallies. retrospect yeah, everybody's chanting not, not anymore not anymore can i can i mention here's one way to get the Here's one way to get the uh, the here's one way to get the uh, Mexicans to pay for it. Start taxing remittances. There's one way to do it. The other thing is, I th- I thought Ted Cruz had an idea. Uh, take the money that El Chapo had and put that in there. That would be he then would be able to say, well, Mexico didn't pay for the wall, but a Mexican did, and maybe that's <laughs> the answer that he's looking for. One eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine. If you're a Trump supporter, I'd like to know how you feel. Are you upset at all? With the president at the moment. Back shortly from Chicago. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago uh, at the White House in the Rose Garden the other day when the president was announcing his national emergency. He uh, took some questions from the audience, and uh, he was also projecting what he thinks would happen. He knew that people weren't going to take this uh, uh, decision of his sitting down without reaction. And uh, he went through a litany of things that he expects to happen on the horizon, and this is the way he put it. They will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling, and then we'll get another bad ruling, and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll get a fair shake, and we'll win in the Supreme Court. (laughs) (laughs) He's absolutely right. He is entertaining. And and he's right. What he described is exactly what's going to happen. You can't say that he's going to get a, a... a good decision from the Supreme Court, but all the rest, the Ninth Circuit, the judges, the, the non-Supreme judges will say, you're wrong. We're going to go to Joseph, listening to it in Austin, Texas, on KLBJ. I asked if there are supporters of the president out there that are upset with the president because of the way he handled this situation. And, Joe, you want to weigh in. Go ahead. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, I'm not angry at Trump. I think Trump's done a fabulous job of... Uh, describing the immigration crisis. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, with, there's 40,000 40, people dying a year from, from drug overdoses. I think that, would, that one member of your panel that thinks things are, things are hokey-dokey or okay on the border is, an, is crazy. Just denying the, child, the people abuse that I'm angry with the uh, Democrats, and I'm angry with half the Republicans who are dragging their feet. Uh, I wish we'd get a list of these 
wishy-washy Republicans. Well, uh, I think you got rid of maybe some of them uh, last uh, last November, but uh, the reality is that uh, the president is worried about his his base. And uh, I want to just find out to what extent. I mean, Ann Coulter, who is a spokesperson, who I, I think she's, to me, she's a spokesperson for no one other than herself. She gets a That's lot of publicity. <laughs> and she is someone that the liberal media likes to point to as saying, oh, look, at he's reacting to her when I think they're building her up more than any conservative builds her up. But I want to let Dan Johnson respond to, to your first part of your question, and that is uh, the, the drug overdoses, the drug issues that we're facing in the country do go back to uh, our poorest borders. I mean, the fact is immigration is at its lowest point in 20 years or 30 years. The southern border migration is at a zenith. That's just a fact. And most of the drugs come in at regular ports of entry. 400,000 so people that, a year, I'll finish Dan. my point, Marty. The idea that in 2019 there's some peak of activity at the southern border is a myth. There's just well, no facts to support that. Well, we finish up against the border. That's unusual. Say again, uh, Joe. Three, we've had three caravans of people okay. from and everything that have crashed up against the border. That's about 30,000 people right there. So what the emergency ought to be is that we ought to get a lot more attorneys to process people that are making legal asylum claims to our country, which is at the noblest part of what our country is about. They're calling so more, that they're we calling can process for more judges. Faster, they're calling for more judges. Which is great. Yeah, I guess, you know, we have, we have two different arguments on, on, on facts here. I mean, either, you know, the 400,000, Marty, that you're mentioning, is that that's not people coming over for visas or they're coming over for a stay or that's, or, that's illegal that you're saying 400,000 right. people right. are coming across the border every year a, across the desert I don't it, know that it's across the desert it might also be uh, well in other but I, really you can't you can't be illegal so any, that's one figure way. I'd like to that, get figured out the, the next thing is you know is like if it's at the lowest point that doesn't that's not necessarily a good argument if it if it used to be 600,000 or a million or something if it's that many people and there's that big a problem then yeah let's fix the problem and the same same thing with judges if we need more judges to process people faster let's do that too i i just as i said before i don't even agree with trump that much on the immigration issue um, or at least I didn't all through the process he's been doing this, but he's offered them deals um, on uh, a larger number of uh, dreamers um, in exchange for getting some kind of wall. And interestingly, you know, Dan, if you look at the, the impact from his uh, State of the Union address, um, it was a good address, and his poll numbers went up. I mean, look, the, the more responsible wing of the Republican Party, which is not the president, came up with a reasonable budget, that the president didn't like, and his inability to act as a president with a co-equal branch of government led to this end run. It's no doubt it's, just it's, a failure of any politician, if you can't get your way in the regular budget process, to come out after you lost and come up with this fake but, national emergency. But, but, but just, let me just, just, just to, to, to put it in context. Yeah. Uh, what Barack Obama did when he wanted to work on the dreamers and congress was not giving congress was not dealing with the dreamers and he said repeatedly for almost a year i don't have the ability to fix anything and then after an election he says okay 
executive order, I'm going to make dreamers eligible to come to the country. We're not going to enforce on it. That was, that was a president who couldn't get what he wanted from Congress, and so he took an executive order. How does that differ? I think the difference is prosecutorial discretion, which any executive branch official has. Which laws am I going to enforce? Because we can't enforce every single law that everybody breaks. Is different than taking, I think it's asset forfeiture money and military money and reallocating it to a border wall, which his party in the Senate explicitly rejected that level of funding. But it's according to law. The National Emergency Act is a law, and and he agreed to abide by the law. He's not going around the law. He's he's using the law in a way that Obama didn't, whether it was uh, with the Dreamers or the Paris Accords or the Tehran. Let me ask you the question. At least on what's been published, some of the places where he is going to go to use the extra money that he wants to use, they're coming out of uh, Department of Defense and, and DNS uh, drug interdiction programs. So he's taking money away from existing drug, drug interdiction programs to put into the building of a wall. Now, is that a good idea? Is that the place to look for uh, the money? Actually, if he needs money for those things, he can go back to Congress and say, hey, we need money for drug interdiction. One thing that he is saying is that he will not take, uh, or actually Shanahan is saying, they will not take any money from uh, uh, housing for the military. The housing for the military is becoming a scandal. Yes, and, it is. And, and that's one place that he's not going to take any construction money from. Let's but, go to Johnny in El Paso, Texas, listening to us on KTSM. <clears throat> go ahead. Yes, as I was telling you, as I was talking to your screener, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. As I was talking to your screener, uh, I, I really was upset when the president wasted our taxpayer money flying Air Force One down here for nothing, wasting our time. And uh, I've been down here 47 years, and I don't see any kind of a problem about people coming here. I'm also a retired CPP officer, and during the time I worked down there, most of the drug loads we caught was in the port of entry. And uh, I just I just don't like it. And also, if they want to spend money, he could go in his pocket as a billionaire and spend his own money and use that other money to fix our crumbling streets and our roads. That's the emergency, uh, national emergency in my point of view. But fixing roads, that, that's, that is a state responsibility. Well, it's federal. Yeah. Federal infrastructure. But that's, that's, that's I don't think that's... Uh, a life or death situation, but you say that you used to be with the uh, Customs and Border Patrol. Yes, I, re- I retired. I retired here in El Paso. All right, Johnny, yes. what is it? What is it that the American people don't know about the job you had and the job that uh, those who you worked with uh, uh, need to have done now? What are the, What do they need to have done? Much like I'm hearing most of it being stated on TV, the money could be used. In a more smarter way. Back when I, I retired, I retired in 2007. Okay. We didn't have the type of technologies that we got now, but drones and we have uh, all types of uh, ways to do it rather than building a wall. As I said before, we never, at least not during the time I was working, the only time we caught drug loads, food loads, people loads, was through postal ventures, through cars. We also have a, a vehicle, a what you call a large truck for the venture too, that we used to catch catch uh, stuff at. But jo- Johnny, let me it. let me ask this question because this this sort of defies some common sense, at least as I see it, from you know uh-huh. a couple hundred or you know 
1,200 miles away from where you are. My question is, um, if indeed the drugs are coming in primarily uh, at the ports of entry, and you've beefed up the ports of entry, and you have personnel and, and technology that can better search cars with dogs or whatever the case may be, if you're stopping drugs there, okay, that's good. But I cannot believe that the drug cartel would say to themselves, you know what, we're only going to try to get drugs into this country in one area at the ports of entry where maybe there is more resistance. There's, there's thousands, there are, let me finish, there are thousands of miles of, of border that don't have fencing, that don't have walls. It's a lot easier for us to try to impregnate that area as well. And so why wouldn't they do it? So when someone says to me that drug runners are not using unrestr- you know, areas that, that aren't heavily protected, I can't believe that. It's common sense that you try to get into the country at, at any, any way you possibly can. Okay, talking about the port of entry. If they know that uh, we can only spend maybe a couple of minutes on a car, and for every 10 cars that come across, we might be able to snap one. We don't have the time, and also the people here in town complain about waiting too long on the bridge. Okay, we're going to come back. Uh, Johnny, we, we thank you for your call. We're going to be back shortly and continue our conversation. I'm Bruce Dumont. Again, think of the common sense of it, and let's let you weigh in. Back shortly. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Well, back in Chicago, let's go back to El Paso. James, a new caller, uh, listening to us on KTSM. Go ahead, James. Yes, sir. How you doing? I just wanted to uh, kind of talk a little bit about that border wall deal and yeah. the effects that it had on on El Paso and our crime rate. I'm a retired policeman, uh, 23 and a half years, and uh, it did make a difference when Operation Hold the Line was put into effect. Uh, early 90s, we had over, I would say, 100 to 200 cars stolen a week. And uh, when Operation Hold the Line went into effect, it made a big difference not only with the auto theft, but also the uh, burglaries and everything, you know, general crime. Uh-huh. Uh, I just don't like the politics side of it that, you know, people are saying the wall didn't do it. Well, it was a combination of law enforcement and the wall that that uh, really reduced the crime rate. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, law enforcement is always part of it. And, and let me ask this question, and, and, and please take it in the spirit that I ask the question. I think most people, yeah. and certainly in every movie that's ever been written, uh, there, there's always an element 
that involves uh, corrupt uh, officials, whether the officials are on the Mexican side of the border, sometimes they're seen as on the United States part of the border, and, and as you know, there are, there are great police officers, and there are some police officers that are not so great. You've identified yourself as a former police officer, so I, I, I would look to you for, for absolute candor uh, in, in this response. Um, is there an issue or a significant issue that maybe some of the Border Patrol agents have been wrapped up and are bought off by the Mexican cartel, either on the Mexican side of the border or on the U.S. side of the border. How real is that fact? Well, that's definitely a possibility because you've got to understand if society's ethics and society's values are low, then our Border Patrol, our law enforcement, also are subjectable to that same uh, standard. Uh, Border Patrol and police and law enforcement comes from society. If you want a better Border Patrol law enforcement, then you should raise society's level. I mean, that's who we choose from. We do backgrounds, we do all those type of things, trying to get the best of the best. But if the standards are low and we don't hold our own ourselves accountable and to, to a degree of, of ethics and, and values, then it's a lower uh, pools to pull from. I don't, I don't know if I said that correctly, mm-hmm. but I think you get the gist of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Well, one of the things that, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago on this program, and that is, um, you know, very little has been said about the appetite uh, for Americans for drugs. I mean, there, there wouldn't be huge, you know, Mexican cartels if there wasn't this huge appetite for drugs of all kinds in the United States. Uh, you know, during the Reagan administration, there was discussion of just say no, and there was real public discussion of, of whether or not, you know, those who are users of drugs, are they perpetuating crime? In reality, they are. But in this whole discussion, you never hear that right. discussed anymore. And, Dan, I want to ask you the question yeah. because a couple of weeks ago we had a couple of, uh, uh, you know, younger members of, of the Democratic Party or supporters of the Democrats. And I asked them, they were both in their 30s, and I said that, uh, you know, can any Democratic presidential candidate make a point that drugs are bad and that the American users are part of the problem with dealing with drugs and the, and the, and the, and the, uh, the problems at the border. Can a Democrat make... Nancy Reagan made that comment, and she's sort of laughed away now. It's 20 years later, 30 years later. She's laughed off. And a lot of people will argue that the war on drugs has not been a success. Right. And I think I would agree with that. But again, there's no, there doesn't seem to be a political will out there to say that drugs are bad for people. Well, they're, they're bad for people, but what is clearly worse is making them illegal because it empowers and enriches the Mexican and other cartels. And there's movement to legalize marijuana, which is long overdue, but to me, it's becoming increasingly evident the costs of making these hard drugs illegal, which is making the bad guys more powerful isn't worth, you know, the, the potential benefit of having fewer people take drugs. And we should treat drugs like a public health epidemic. We should get people off of drugs and help them not to start in the first place. But we shouldn't criminalize this 
because it creates the black market, which is a cause of a lot of our problems in the first place. Bruno, you're our libertarian at the table. What's your take on what I just had to say? Um, I can agree. It, it's very easy to agree with that in principle, okay? And I've been on the fence on the drug legalization issue for the longest time. I have trouble with legalizing fentanyl. I have trouble with legalizing crystal meth. Um, I have trouble with legalizing heroin. Uh, you know, I mean, at what, at what, I mean and, and the, the theoretical argument about not, not taking the, criminal, the criminality out of it, yeah, let's manufacture all the drugs here and we can have manufacturing jobs of bringing in fentanyl and heroin and crystal meth production. You're still, people are still going to use it. And, you know, apparently that's going to continue no matter what happens, legal or illegal. The other thing is that once you legalize something, its use almost always goes up. Um, you know, the, the prohibition, which everybody uses as a model, actually was very successful in reducing alcohol consumption. We just decided we'd rather drink our alcohol. Um, is legalizing pot going to pose a problem? We don't know yet, but probably not. Uh, but the, the harder drugs, um, the, the cost, the human cost of, you know, uh, legal crystal meth? I don't know. Well, the, the problem, I, I, like you, I'm not sure about legalization of, say, marijuana, but one th- thing that really disturbs me is that it really is the threshold drug. When people start using that, it, it's no longer strong enough. They go from wine to, to, to booze. They go from, from uh, marijuana to something stronger. Plus, in, in most cases... I stopped at bourbon. There's no good. <laughs> You're going back to wine then, huh? Uh, uh, I don't want people on the road driving on, on the same yeah. road with my wife and my kids uh, yeah. well, that's, because, yeah. because the, the policeman on the road can't do any kind of a breath test or something. He can't know whether that person is, under, is using marijuana. I think he probably could. Uh, back to you, James. Uh, final word to you on, yes, this, on this issue. Well, what he said about the marijuana being legalized and stuff, he's correct because they're really not a very effective uh, test that you can uh, administer on the road out in the field for marijuana. And we do know that only the people on marijuana think that they function better yeah. than when they're not on marijuana. Yeah. Now, pain and, and medical medicinal purposes, I think there is a place for that. But we shouldn't just give up and just let everybody have something that they can become dependent upon. I would, if I could, just to, to, to James' point, to Bruno's point, um, if you look at what we've done with nicotine and cigarettes in this country in the last 20 years, where it's completely legal, but the social norms and the campaigns against just how bad smoking is has significantly yeah. reduced consumption. I think we should do the same with hard drugs, where we make it very clear these are very bad things to do. But we're better off as a country not to empower. There isn't any stigma against marijuana anymore, I don't think. I don't think so. Well, I, does anybody think there's I, a stigma against marijuana anymore? It's I, I, not, a, not in popular culture. Not right. in, well, not I'm in, not popular uh, culture. I, mean, I, 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 I think it should be legal. Say, say again, James. Only in my household, but you're right. Uh, <laughs> the stigmatism that used to be there negatively is fading away through yeah. our, our commercials, through our songs, our rap music, through right. our country music, yeah. through all the different media, it's downplaying what it is. 
Right. And, you know, I'll be one of the people who will say I have no problem bringing back stigmatization of any of that stuff. I mean, you can't even tell a joke anymore. And, you know, now you tell some, you tell some joke and it's supposed to be stigmatizing or hurtful. It's just such nonsense. I mean, look, I think marijuana should be legalized. I smoked pot in high school. I stopped. I think I'm, I smoked pot once in my freshman year of college and then I just never smoked it again. Didn't need to. I tease people who smoke pot because I think it makes you dumb. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't legalize it. You know, you can make a case about people who drink uh, too much alcohol. And, yes, I'd rather have a road full of people who are stoned than a road full of people who are drunk just because it doesn't impair you as, as, as dr- dramatically. But let's not pretend that, really? you know, I don't I honestly. I think it's better. I think it's better. Okay. I think, I, I'd prefer. I would think that both would be. Uh, I mean, if you have problem. to pick. I right? think both. Bad like, you don't get domestic what abuse. What does James say? He's, he's, the, he's the policeman. What did you say? I I. I think that they both are bad uh if yeah. it causes one life to be lost because of it then it's it's bad you know yeah, I, you're, uh, you're... a lot of people say we have no crime but if you're a victim then crime becomes very important to you it, it's the major thing if you have a loved one that's hurt or or lost their life because of some impairment drugs uh, or alcohol or something like that then yeah it's a big problem to you and that's what I, I, I just don't want us to become so lax that people take it and take two, what do they say, you give them an inch and then they take a foot, you know. James, one last question. Um, yes. what, was your, what is your opinion of the president? Did, did, he, cave, uh, did he cave on this issue of the, of the congressional uh, bill and uh, is, is calling for a national emergency the right thing for him to do? You know, he was put between a rock and a hard place. Um, the shutting down of the government, um, no one likes that. It left a bad taste in everybody's ma- uh, mouth. But also, look what he had to work with. The Democrats were not going to budge, and they knew they had him on that to, in order to wall build. Um, a national emergency, from what I understand, has already been declared a few times during the, uh, Barack Obama's presidency. So it's not like it hasn't been declared before. The thing was, this time it's declared for the benefit of the United States. Okay. Thanks very much. We appreciate it. And thank you for your uh, service to law enforcement for so many years uh, in uh, El Paso, Texas. I'm Bruce Dumont. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. If you want to uh, send me a tweet, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. We will return with more conversation and a change of subject when we come back. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. 
Belmont back in Chicago. We continue, um, and uh, we're going to switch gears. I want to talk about something. Since we have a uh, one of a card carrying progressive with us who proudly displays that, Dan Johnson, I want to get your reaction to what happened in New York City. I'm glad you asked. I think it's great. I think the idea that we just continue to accommodate to corporate welfare as the cost of doing business, I think we've turned a corner in our country. And I should share that um, I've worked with some of the Queen's state legislators on trying to finally stop this ridiculous corporate welfare as an economic development policy with an interstate compact where states agree we're getting out of the business of shoveling money at the biggest, most profitable companies with the clout to demand our taxpayer dollars as a condition of doing business. Mm. Where all the rest of us, if we want to move into a new place and start a new business, we don't extract money from the taxpayers to do it. We set up shop and pay our taxes like everybody else. Yeah, but Dan, if you move into another state, they won't be happy about that. <laughs> you won't bring any well, benefits just, to that state. Well, that's just because of me. They're not of having course. to see me anywhere, man. <laughs> but if you could bring in $8 trillion to uh, spread around in their economy, and if they were going to give you a trillion back in, in uh, tax benefits, they're still $7 trillion ahead. Now, I'm... I'm I'm fudging the numbers badly there, but the reality is if you're going to move into a, a state like that and you're Amazon and you talk to New Jersey and New York and Illinois, uh, I, I see nothing wrong with, uh, with Amazon saying, I want some money it's for this. It's not about whether Amazon's bad or New York is bad. It's, I hope you would all acknowledge it's an absurd system. There's no. a reason why Europe makes it illegal. Um, why we would, and I'll, I'll stop with this. Why would we, as a policy, shovel, was it $80 billion a year to our biggest companies just because we allow these absurd bidding wars of our money from only the biggest companies to extract from our wealth? Bruno? Um, you know, I, there's almost nothing I agree with progressives on. Um, I, like to, I like to differentiate between liberals and progressives because liberals still are, are sane and, and most progressives, and Dan appears sane this evening, um, so I'll, I'll leave, give him the benefit of the doubt. It's but early, though. It's early. <laughs> it's early. I'll take it, Bruno. But I'll on, take it. But on I'll this issue, um, and this is a libertarian <laughs> position, it's, it's, a, it's the libertarian position we've had on, um, at the Heartland Institute on stadiums and all this other yeah, crap. It's like, just, just stop this nonsense. It's a bribe to bring the company to your borders instead of somebody else's borders. It almost never works. It, you almost always pay too much. Yes, there is some investment. Yes, they bring you know, construction jobs. Scott Walker's probably not governor anymore because of how badly he handled the whole Foxconn thing. I don't understand the conservatives supporting this. It's just bad policy. And I'll take it one step further. I'm not a big fan of AOC. Um, I think she is not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, so she comes out against this, which I one of the issues I agree with her on. And all these libertarian and conservative blogs who have been making the case against these kinds of bribes before, all of a sudden are back on track with, oh, they bring in jobs, they bring in all this stuff, just because it's a Democrat that, uh, the Democrats that said no to it. Amazon can afford to build their own thing, and they should just be told to go jump. And they paid zero taxes last year, unlike 110 or $120 billion of revenue, zero taxes. Well, That's uh, outrageous. Yeah. If your argument is that the bribes, as you call them, don't work, that they don't produce the jobs or whatever— 
I agree with you that they, they should be required to produce those jobs. But if they work, if Illinois can beat out Wisconsin, I'm glad for Illinois. Well, here's another perfect example on that one. So here in Illinois, we did Boeing a few years ago, and everybody's ch- pounding their chest about getting Boeing. Texas offered $16 million, so we're looking at a lot less numbers all of a sudden here. That was years ago, and it was only for a, it was office workers. Texas offered $16 million. Colorado offered $14 million, and Illinois had to pay $62 million for a really simple reason. That's Illinois' corruption tax. That's the tax that you have to pay to bring all your people to Illinois so they can pay for the pensions that are all going bankrupt, for all the corruption, for all the greed, for all the graft that you have to deal with in Illinois. It's just bad policy. Does this, does this issue involving uh, – and it got high visibility because you had, you had the mayor. Uh, the mayor was upset with, uh, with some of the uh, congressional people, including uh, AOC – but also today, when he was on Meet the Press, he was blaming uh, he, he was blaming uh, Amazon. He was saying Amazon that you know the people went in the in, in the fat cats went into the boardroom and said you know we're going to yeah, right. pull Listen, the plug on this. Hey, if Amazon so does, it, no, but does this become an issue? Does it become an issue either in the Democratic primary, or is this one of the issues as as there is a greater discussion of of financial related matters in the general election? Mm-hmm. Is this a is this an issue that has some legs with the general public? I think because it does. I, because I think, I think the average guy, I think the average guy does not like the idea of any government anywhere yep. paying large sums of money to a corporation, basically, uh, you know, you know, well, blood money yeah, to get yeah. them there. I think and it does. Because they're think, small business. They don't get a check. Yeah. They pay the taxes like everybody well, else. And the, 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 what do you guys think of that? Is it a political issue? It's definitely a political issue, but I'm not sure I agree with you saying that the average guy doesn't approve of it. If if the average guy is going to get a job at the Foxconn if, plant, or if. yeah, well, yeah, well, of course, and, if. And that's, that's what that's it, what I'm saying. See, everybody likes the investment, but nobody sees the the hidden cost. And the hidden cost is that as you provide all of these benefits for these corporations to move in, whether they're tax abatements or property tax abatements or whatever there it is they're doing, all they're doing is putting those taxes on all the people who are already sitting there having to pay them who don't happen to be Amazon. That's right. We've got to pause. When we come back in our next hour, we're going to be talking about the Green Plan. AOC's Green Plan. The Green Green Deal. Deal. The Green Deal. It's not a plan. It's a deal. Green New Deal. Green New Deal. Deal. Dan is going to define it for us every chapter, every verse. There you go. Including high-speed rail. You're damn right. (laughs) Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth and speaking our minds, not just making records, but breaking them, leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen, not just making our mark, 
but making a difference? Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont, we continue from Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us from coast to coast and border to border. Uh, we're talking about uh, the, uh, the problem of uh, Amazon going to New York, making a big offer to bring jobs there. Uh, and then uh, the city fathers there uh, began to think twice about it, and they decided uh, they're not going to go there. And so you have uh, Mayor de Blasio, one of the most progressive mayors or liberal mayors in the country, uh, he's blaming, uh, he's pointing fingers at Amazon, and yet other people are suggesting that it is the progressives in the in the body politic of New York, including uh, the new Congresswoman AOL, uh, AOC rather, uh, that <laughs> AOL is dead. <laughs> Somebody should have given them some money. Uh, but it brings up the issue of pro- progressives are sort of fighting amongst themselves, and uh, you also have a unique situation because... Uh, Part of this new plan that's come up, the, the Green New Deal, yes. as defined by uh, uh, AOL, AOC, AOC, Ms. Cortez, <laughs> reaction from you as to whether or not this is a good political deal. I know you love it because it's close to your well, massive heart, but is it good politics? Would you like to see this debated as part of the 2020 
race for president. Absolutely. I mean, I have children. They'll be alive in 20, 30 years. And if you don't think that there's a massive hoax among every climate scientist in the world, that they're all lying about the fact that we're facing real danger to our way of life with ever more floods and hurricanes and droughts, then the scope of the solution to climate change has to meet the danger and the cost that we're facing. So I think it's great that we're advancing the discussion about just like the New Deal saved us from a depression, we need a Green New Deal to stop this catastrophic cost of climate change. Marty, would you like this to be a key issue of 2020? Does this help the Republicans to have this? The Green New Deal? Oh, I sure would, because you can say, oh, it would be good if we just didn't have this uh, uh, threat hanging over our heads and if we weren't worried about this or that happening. And all we have to do is charge everybody in the country an extra $5,000 a year. That, that is not a winning solution. So I'd love to have the, the Republicans and the Democrats debate that issue and, and use that issue as, as a key point in, in, uh, in, in getting themselves votes. Um, you know, there used to be a time when there was a Democratic Sam Nunn and there was a Republican Charles Percy. And I think the country actually operated a little bit better when that happened. And now you, you have this massive separation where both parties are essentially – both parties' bases, which may f- form a majority of their party or might not, I'm not really sure, basically just get crazier by the day. And, you know, so now you have walls and you have Green New Deals. Um, you know, and I've always been a wall skeptic, and I'm certainly a Green New Deal skeptic. So I put a Facebook post up on the Green New Deal, and some guy who gives me trouble on Facebook or actually makes good points on Facebook says, um, why, did you read it? Here's the text. And I thought, well, that's actually a good thing to do because maybe before you start posting on some article about the thing, you read the text. And I had to stop at the first uh, – I mean, I, I'll read it eventually, but I had to stop at the first page because the entire – basis of these resolutions, and this was a resolution, it was not a bill, so it's a wish list. So this is, this is something that they're throwing up a trial balloon to see what sticks and to see what kind of discussion comes out of it, which is fine. But the entire whereas, and this is where I'm going to disagree with Dan here, um, is there global warming? Yes. Is man responsible for it? The idea that the scientific consensus of 97% of self-referencing scientists referencing themselves uh, over and over again uh, indicates that this is a a, a serious end-of-the-world problem, like if we go above two degrees, there's going to be a catastrophic buildup and Earth is going to blow up like a match head. This is nonsense. There are so many more things. There are so many more things that, that people can spend money on that can make life better. If the Green New Deal passes, the only people who are going to do really well with it are rich white progressives on the coast, and every poor person in America and every poor person in the world is going to be colder, less access to electricity, less access to... to you're, you're an idea guy. Every, t- every time you've been on this program, I think people that have heard and seen you for the last you know, tech decade on this show, you're an idea guy. Wouldn't you want this idea to be debated in a presidential election so the so the so the American public can be uh, they can be educated? They, yes, I, mean, I do. Dan I would. groaned when you talk when you sort of dismissed some of the the, the scientists. Um, but is this something that that should yeah, be discussed ab- in the general? Absolutely, election? it should be debated. I'll, I'll give you one idea. I'll give you one thing that you know. It's like I'm a skeptic on how I'm, is is mankind having an impact? 
If it is, it's probably much smaller than being said. But this is what I'll, this is what I'll gladly do. Um, there might be an issue, and I don't like pollution, and I don't like how much energy America wastes. So let's have a carbon tax or a BTU tax, but only if you cut the income tax or only if you cut the corporate income tax, only if you swap it out, and only if it makes sense. Or how about, to, to how about only, only if India and China do the same thing? That's because another important we can destroy point. ourselves. Too bad that we had a global agreement to limit climate changes, and no, your no, candidate was the first one to it. walk away from the Paris Accords. But to your point, Bruno, we used to have Republican presidents who listened to scientists and solved problems. And that was George Herbert Walker Bush, who largely solved the ozone layer problem. We had a wonderful global accord, and the ozone problem, which was a real problem, and acid rain, which was a real problem, got solved by Republican presidents. Sadly, the Republican Party now, with folks like Donald Trump, who is anti-science, anti-fact, anti-data, their party has moved away from listening to scientists and solving problems. It is a sad thing for our republic, and I hope the wings of the Republican Party that are embarrassed by our president's decision to do that regain some influence within your party, because... There's no question. It is catastrophic. Ask, is the, not, insurance, not, ask the insurance company. It is companies. not catastrophic. But, but the, re- but the Republican damages. opponents to uh, the Green Deal, the, the Green New Deal now, yeah. mean, they are throwing, okay, uh, what that means is there's going to be no more airplanes. There's, they, they are going to want well, people to take a train from uh, Los Angeles to New York. Well, I mean, they're, 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 painting, they're painting a picture of what it will mean to their constituents and basically, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a horrible picture. So, but they're painting the picture, and there's people out there who are believing the picture that is being painted. Yes. How do you unpaint a picture? You, you know in politics, yeah. if you can define your opponent before your opponent defines themselves, you are likely to win an argument. And I'm saying to you, as a political operative yeah. representing the left and as a progressive, yeah. Are you worried that already in the first two weeks of this new Green deal that it's being painted in a way that it's not going to get popular support? I'd say there are three points. One is it's sad that aggressive stupidity seems to be a tactic that Republican leadership is embracing, like saying— It's been used by both parties. Well, this is—I mean, we're talking about the Green New Deal. One is science-based and one is using aggressive stupidity, like, to Marty's point, well, we need China to do something. In the last 20 years, China has built an electric— powered high-speed rail system throughout that country. How's which it working? Yeah, and and, and it's working extraordinarily it's, and, and, and well. They're, and they're powering it with their, their... And let's be honest about air flights. They are really bad for global warming. There's no question. So Airplanes let's get rid really of them. Bad. You know what? So I want to debate you. That. I want to run against you, and I'll say let's not get rid of airplanes. And you can say let's get rid of airplanes, and we'll see who wins in Wilmette or in Skokie. That's great. I'd love to. Great. We'll be right back, and uh, we've got callers on the line. They want to weigh in on this high-level discussion, and you'll hear from them. Crown Point, Indiana, Austin, Texas, and all places in between. Thanks for joining us tonight. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth and speaking our minds, not just making records, but breaking them, leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen, not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. 
Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. We are back, and uh, part of the Green New Deal is a higher use of high-speed rail uh, and, uh, and less fewer airplanes. And, Dan, uh, people who know that you've been on this show for a long time, you've always been a strong supporter of high-speed rail. Yeah, it runs on electricity, and, and not And yet, oil. last week, the governor, the newly elected liberal governor of California, Gavin Newsom, said that he was basically going to kill the high-speed rail in California that has had just billions of dollars in cost overruns. He said that the uh, that can't be supported. Well, no, what he said was we're going to build it from San Francisco to Los Angeles, but we're going to focus on what we're building in the Central Valley first, and we're going to get that done. And if the anti-infrastructure Republicans in Washington hadn't taken over in 2010 and cut all investment in uh, high-speed rail or any electric-powered transportation to get us off of oil, it would have been totally built by now. But we should be spending oh, twenty please. billion dollars. We should be spending twenty billion dollars a year on electric-powered transportation to move away from foreign oil and into domestic-powered. Where does that electric power come from? What what generates that electric power? As much renewables as possible, and we have no. barely scratched the surface of the possibility of harvesting this wonderful free resource from no. the sun. Google, oh. so Google. <laughs> Goes you're, out. You're the one who's a, who's who thinks we're anti-science. You know, it's really oh, funny. God, like, Google goes out and hires. So Google is hardly a conservative company. Okay, they're run by progressives. They they're they're knocking conservatives off of their platforms as fast as they can, anytime they can. So Google is a progressive company. They go out, and the two guys, Bryn and whatever his name is, they they go out and hire like three or four scientists, and they say we're going to make a big investment in this energy. Go and write up a report on how to do this and everything else like that. And this this is just a couple of years ago. It's not too long. I can I can find the link and send it to Dan. They come back and say renewables is undoable with the current technologies. That yes, you continue to look into them, but this idea that we can power America with solar and wind is just so absurd. It's not even funny. There so there are more jobs in solar than coal. Today, yeah, the that's because in solar yeah, every year I got is it. between I got it. twenty and yeah. forty percent. And, and, it's and I, I'm fine with. I'm and I don't fine. know why you guys aren't. Okay, for no, I'm I'm fine with solar. I, you know, wind. I'm not so fine with wind. Is 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 a pretty big boondoggle. But anytime you can throw something on a roof and catch some energy from it, I'm a, I'm a I'm a libertarian. And I'm even okay with the subsidies for it up to a point. But here's the other kicker. The subsidies were supposed to have ended years ago, and they, they, somehow they still fuel never get... subsidies are the problem. No, 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 That's $20 billion I'm, a year I'm, in fossil I'm fuel not, subsidies. I don't want fossil I fuels to be subsidized either. That. No, I'm fine to stop subsidizing the fossil fuels. Gentlemen, go let's go to calls line three. Bonnie in Crown Point, Indiana. Go ahead. Well, hello there. First of all, um, regarding the Paris Accords, Yes. Um, I'm glad we got out of it because it's really unenforceable. I mean, we agree to things because we're an honorable country, and we comply with agreements, but then other countries do whatever they want. And then you have India and other third-world countries, and they're trying to claw their way into second-world country status. They're much more populous. They will not give up their fuel sources like coal. So we can do whatever we want, and they will still continue 
to pollute and, and do the things that they do. And I would make one more comment about, you know, conservatives and Republicans being anti-science. You know, your side can't even acknowledge that a nine-month gestation fetus is a separate human being. And that's all I got to say about it. Dan. Every year, renewables get cheaper. It's now cheaper to build new solar power plants than it is to keep old coal power plants going, not to mention nuclear, which I happen to be open to. I, like, I mean, I like emission-free nuclear power. But every year, renewables get cheaper. Coal's getting more expensive to keep this, these old technologies going. So what we need to do for India and China, because the caller's right, Third world countries or developing countries look to get the cheapest way they can to get their power. We need to be investing massive sums of money to get the cost of renewables well below what you can get from oil and coal so that the rest of the world will start using renewables because we're all on the hook for the costs of this pollution. All of us. The, the, the simple fact of the matter is that no, no one's against. I'm, not, I've, I'm toying with the idea of putting a solar system on my house, even up here in, where there's no sun anymore in, uh, in Illinois. Um, and I understand the numbers. I've looked into it, and it makes sense yes. to expand solar. That doesn't mean that you shut down the existing forms of energy, and it doesn't mean that you ignore nuclear power. The technolo- you know, technology has changed dramatically on nuclear power as well, and they can build much safer plants and much better plants than they've built in Zion or, uh, heaven forbid, Chernobyl or places like that. So, but that's not, but that's, you see, cheap, really, really strong flowing cheap electricity from nuclear. You don't hear anything about that in the Green New Deal because nuclear bad, orange man bad, and Republican bad. This is nonsense. We're going to call Roger in Austin, Texas on KLBJ. Go ahead. Good evening. Good evening. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, sir. Uh, Certainly uh, solar has a lot of activity, and it's going to get better and better. Perovskites, uh, thermal photodynamics, uh, the black nanotubes that they're doing at MIT, it's the future of power. But there's one great limitation in solar, and that is that you've got to store it. The sun doesn't shine all the time, and you've got a real problem with the storage technology. Now, you've got the power wall. That's the, uh, you know, the kind of the current state-of-the-art. But these things are way beyond. They're, they're just falling way short of what we're going to need. But here's the key thing, Bruce. These folks on the green side of this thing, and I'm one of them to to a large degree, but they want these draconian changes to basically cut CO2, carbon. Most of the carbon is generated naturally. Uh, What we do generate certainly does trap some greenhouse gases, etc. But the fundamental problem is they argue against their opponents by saying, oh, you don't have any science. All the scientists say that we've got it right here. Well, all the scientists at one time said the Earth was the center of the universe and the the sun revolved around the Earth. But the bottom line is these mitigation techniques have no scientific proof that shows they work. That is the key. Roger, would you acknowledge that in our current trajectory, the cost of climate change in the next 20 to 30 to 40 years will be absolutely catastrophic. I think it will be catastrophic for 
some people that are living in coastal areas. But the thing is, this is the, the whole global climate change specter is greatly overblown. I mean, you had Cortez out there saying we're going to die in 12 years. I mean, people need real information on this. Stuff. Oh, th- thank you. Thank you so much for saying so. I, I really, really appreciate it from a from a, a skeptic such as myself to hear someone who believes what you believe. And I don't think we're that far apart, really, to to just yeah. start saying. And and you're absolutely right. What she said was, which is accurate. We only have so many years to start cutting emissions. We've increased emissions in our country last year. Isn't isn't no, Tesla? No, is but is one question. Isn't Tesla uh, working on plans right now to store solar, which is uh, great. power and yeah. batteries? That's, the, that's yes. Powerwall. Powerwall. Powerwall is, is the Tesla, but it's the same company. But uh, they're, absolutely, they're working on things, but they're far from being at the place where they can be used on the scale that we use power in this country and other countries. China's whipping out coal plants like crazy. India's putting them out like crazy. And so we're going to destroy our economy, and we're going to make all of these things. But solar is cheaper than coal. Solar is cheaper than coal. It is not. Not Yes, it is. A new solar plant is cheaper than keeping existing coal power plants If that was the case, China would be putting solar plants up instead of coal plants. That's what's happening in the U.S. That's why renewables are booming and coal is dying. That's why coal companies are going bankrupt. And renewable companies are making fortunes. You're talking about jobs. uh, you're, You're talking about jobs at the margins of a few people who have subsidies who are throwing solar power up on people's roofs. That is not, that's not going to power an electric train network around the country that's going to take over from air travel. You're going to require seven or eight. thousands of jobs in the renewable sector. You're going to dwarfing the coal sector. No, it's not. It It is is dwarfing it. It it is dwarfing it. You know, and the projections are all positive for renewables. No, they're not. This is another way where Republicans aren't embracing, which is weird to me, not embracing the future of the energy business, but clinging on to the past. Roger, last word to you. Take a look at what's happened when Macron tried to put these uh, carbon taxes in in France. He's now pulled those all off the table. You've got your yellow vest riots going on over there. That's going to be nothing compared to what happens in this country when you try to jerk the power and the ability to fly and get around in an automobile in this country. Or just pay for the pollution you create, which imposes costs on all of us. Yeah. Pay for the pollution you create. That's reasonable, isn't it? And let's run against each other. I want yeah. to run against I, you. I gotta, if you, you can you. take the side yeah. of the polluters, okay. yeah. and I'll take yeah. the side of everybody no else. Yeah, and, and, well, but you, I just want to repeat. You, you want this discussion as part of the 2020 Absolutely. race. Yes. You want Donald Trump on one side, and you you think that all of those uh, who are wearing a Democratic banner at the moment, are they all going to be supporting you? I think uh, is Michael Bloomberg going to be supporting you? I don't think Michael Bloomberg is a Democrat. <laughs> okay. Hey Bruce. Yes. Bruce. Ask Dan how he got to the station tonight. How did you get to the station tonight? I drove. He drove. I should pay hey, more. Hey, Everybody who consumes gasoline should pay more. They We're do. causing the problem. They pay more. They pay gas tax. Not enough to cover the costs of the pollution. Let's run against each other. Dan. Roger, thanks very much for your call. 1-800-723-8029. We may have just, just tipped 
the tip of the iceberg. We've touched just the tip Speaking of the iceberg. Speaking of icebergs. Speaking of icebergs. You got problems. 1-800-723-8289. Half hour to go. I'm Bruce Dumont. Wherever you're joining us tonight, we really appreciate your joining our conversation. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We, we put, put debt, debt in, in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. And before we continue, let's have our guests introduce themselves. And we begin with Marty Garrity, our Republican tonight. My name is Marty Garrity. I'm a retired commercial real estate broker. I'm a former alderman in the city of Evanston. Uh, My wife and I have six kids and we have 11 grandchildren and I care a lot about the, li- the lives that those grandchildren are going to uh, uh, be living uh, uh, 10, 20, 30 years from now uh, and I, I'm, hey, not, I'm, not, I'm not worried about uh, what Dan is saying is, is the, uh, the problems they're going to face. One more thing, this is probably about my 35th or 37th year appearing on this show back back when it was uh, oh. Inside Politics. Uh, and uh, I, I've been doing this with Bruce for that many years. Your hair was all black when we started. <laughs> and there was way <laughs> more had, of it. And I had hair. <laughs> Dan Johnson. Hi, Dan You've Johnson. You've been around here for a long time, I too. I have. I think we're in uh, year uh, 19. Really? Yeah. You were young and single when you started, and I now you're a father of four. Father of four. Uh, husband of one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm on the uh, library board in Wilmette and uh, Democrat, progressive lobbyist. I like to hang out in the capital of Illinois and try and help our public servants pass better bills, make better laws. And delighted to be here to defend the Green New Deal, uh, paying for these negative externalities. Okay, well, listen, uh, being the defender of the deal, you'll, you've got uh, something to talk about for the next several years Thank on this you. program. Bruno Berend. Hi, I'm Bruno Berend. I'm uh, formerly with the Heartland Institute on staff. I'm actually uh, the Heartland Institute senior fellow on, primarily on education issues, which we haven't really had to cover tonight. Um, I've been on the show. I don't know if it's, it's probably got to be close to the time that Dan started, so maybe 19, 20 years, 18 years or really? something like that. Okay. It's been a while. But uh, And I was also doing stuff when... Um, the WLS had their their other Sunday night show that uh, was going Tom on. Tom Roser, yeah, the late with, uh, Tom Roser, exactly. The shootout, um, so shootout. Shoot been right. doing a lot of that, and I've been enjoying enjoying every bit of it. And uh, no, um, there's not going to be any catastrophic global warming. It's a problem that we should look at, that we should try and work on, that we should fix. We want to come up with the stuff that we should be talking about with green new deals. We should be doing over 50 years, not five. Now. Uh, Mitch McConnell, who is one of the great strategic thinkers in D.C., he wants to have an up-and-down vote on the Green New Deal. He wants to 
He wants to move it to the Senate and have every senator uh, vote on it. Do you think that's a good idea, Dan? So two responses. One, smart politics for Mitch. Aggressive stupidity plays, so he's doing well. But uh, on the longer-term view, right, there's that quote, uh, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you. I think this is what Mitch is doing now. Then they fight you, and then you win. And if you acknowledge the facts of the absolute existential threat of climate change, then at least having a debate in the Senate is great. Let's start. Uh, Marty, Gary, is is the vote a good idea? I think the vote is a great idea. I mean, it pretty much guarantees that Donald Trump will be the president until the year 2024. Because when the the Senate Democrats who are running for president uh, endorse the Green New Deal uh, and then they're asked to pay for it, their constituencies will diminish immediately. Uh, I think it's funny that Dan brought up that uh, ignore you, laugh at you, because that, that whole trajectory was, describes exactly Donald Trump's ascendancy to the presidency as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, the interesting thing about all of this is that, um, look, you, serious people should seriously look at serious problems and try to fix them. My biggest beef with all of this climate stuff from the very beginning, in, all the way in 1988, Time magazine has a picture of a burning earth on the cover. And in that magazine, Time says, and writers in Time magazine say, this issue is too important to be reported objectively. The minute someone says that, every single skeptic in the world should step up and say, uh-oh, what's going on here? The fact of the matter is this issue as real as it might be, is nowhere near as catastrophic. And the the interesting thing is, as they keep losing more and more support, and as people like Donald Trump get elected president, the the, um, progressives are getting even more shrill when they should just stop. And people should get together in a room and say, how do we fix this problem long term? How do we measure it and see all the different things that are happening? And I'm not talking about a go-slow approach. I've already said, Dan, I'm fine with uh, subsidy for uh, electric, and I think wind subsidies are now proven to be more um, problematic. But let's, let's fix the climate problem. But you don't go out and, and make energy use impossible that fast. Are you, Dan, from a political standpoint, are you happy that AOC, Congresswoman AOC, is, is the front person She's the quoted person. She's out front on this issue, and she is defining the issues of the 2020 presidential election. Are you happy with that? I think she's an exceptional politician. She's a phenomenal communicator. I think she represents an increasingly large swath of the Democratic base, and I think her positions are attractive to median voters. Do you think that she has embarrassed herself by her lack of knowledge of how Congress works, uh, and no, some no, of the mistakes I, that she's made no, early I think, on. I think everybody, I mean, no, I think, you know, in some live stream, she said three chambers instead of two chambers. I think her mistakes have been slips of the tongue. I think she's very intelligent. She's very, you know, she's 29. I think she's great. I think she's, like, been a phenomenal member of Congress. What about some of the other newer members of Congress that have said things that have been viewed as anti-Semitic and they've been... Uh, uh, you know, criticized by uh, even Democratic yeah, leadership. You know, she she apologized and thinks she she's moving forward. But you know what she said is that you know there is what is it a hundred million dollars a year that pro-Israeli forces spend in politics, which is true, and you know we should talk about that. 
and she brought it up, and she brought it up, I think, in an inartful way, but I think there's an increasing recognition. We should talk about that. Lobbyists and money that have too much influence, whether it's about the NRA or any other issue. We should that's talk a, about that, Dan, yeah, because those Jews, you know how money, what money grubbers they are. That's, that's the, the joy of talking about that when you're, when you're Ila Farhan or whatever her name is. Uh, the, the, the anti-Semitism of, this, of, the, of that person and of this group of Democrats is, is sickening to anybody who cares about it. you accept her apology? Her apology. She apologized. She, she said, but, but don't forget, they're still rich and they're still using their money. Lobbyists. That, that's, a lot of money this, in politics yeah, is but, a problem but regardless of the There are lots of, of lobbyists, but she focused that? on the Jewish lobbyists. But, but Marty, uh, would you acknowledge that there are right-of-center groups or individuals that have questioned the amount of money that Israel has poured into primarily Democratic lawmakers for the last 50 years, and they believe, and these, you know, you may view them as anti-Semitic as well, but they've raised the question as to whether or not there's too much influence by Israeli PAC money uh, in, in, uh, in dealing with both Republican and Democratic members of Congress. That may have you, been true 20 years ago. That may have been but, true 20 years ago, but the Christian right today is is probably the single most pro-Israel, pro-Jewish force in America today, and and I don't I don't believe that you have anybody but the far right weirdos who are anti-Semitic. The right is heavily on the side of of Israel, and it's the left that is coming down in big numbers against Israel. Well, it, first of all, any anti-Semitism from any direction, right or left, should be immediately frowned upon and ridiculed. Right. Um, it's unacceptable. That doesn't mean you can't individually criticize uh, Israel if it does something wrong as a state. doesn't mean you can't criticize a Jewish person who's doing something wrong if that person is doing something you think is wrong. Just a general anti-Semitism, just like general racism, um, and believing one race is superior to another is just completely ridiculous. What, what I think is more interesting, and bringing it back to um, AOC, um, which I like, you know, me personally, um, I like to call her occasional cortex um, instead of Ocasio-Cortez because she really has made some mistakes. And what I think is so funny is when I heard Dan singing her praises a few seconds ago, and, and there, you know, look, she won the election. She beat, she beat, a, a, she, she, she beat an incumbent. Yeah. Um, so more power to her, and that, that's what elections are for, and that's why we have them. Um, but I think the effusive praise reminded me very much of how the super Trumpers, you know, the kind of people who think that when Trump does a push-up, the earth moves down. Um, I, I think it was very similar to that. Uh, clearly, she's made some mistakes. Clearly, she's do, she's saying and doing some things that are way above her pay grade, given how green she is. But let's face, let's well, exactly. Um, and the Democratic Party is, you know, more green with envy as well. But she's become a media darling. I mean, she is the one that's out there. I mean, here, here's a former bartender. She's defining all well, these these scientific matters. She is she's brought it to the forward just because of her personality. Well, well and, just, and she, the media well, loves a, her. She's a phenomenal communicator. She's got a great ability to communicate. You can't take that away from her. The fact that social media happens no, to be the technology yes. of our time. No one should take this the wrong way, but right. one of the reasons she's so successful is that she's very, very good-looking. And yes, that's a compliment that is, that is not taking anything away from her as a woman or objectifying anybody and all that yeah. PC social justice warrior nonsense. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that she's become successful because she took on a 
heavyweight and she beat him and she's good with social media. Yep. She had some probably had some really great consultants who helped her out too. She won an election and now she's a phenomenon. What I think is interesting and I just put a Facebook post up today is that there are I'm not it's not about Ocasio-Cortez and a, and a, and a blue district that's going to stay blue forever. The fact is what the Republican Party really should be worrying about, what they should be like, you know, hiring some good consultants and maybe, you know, there are none, but, um, you know, some people who know what they're talking about and find out about all of these women who won these districts in the suburbs because that's what's going to kill the party. If, and, and USA, USA and Trump, Trump, Trump isn't going to get those vote backs. They better figure out a way that they are going to get those right. votes so back. That is key. We will be back with more conversation, 1-800-723-8029, and a call from Cleveland, Ohio. Don't go away. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Back and uh, I want to spend just a few seconds talking because I don't think it's worth more than a few seconds. But Bill Weld has suggested the former governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, who ran for vice president with Gary Johnson for president uh, last time around, uh, he is thinking of uh, running as a Republican in the primary, challenging uh, President uh, Trump. Is there any chance of him having any significant? Legs at all. Marty Garrity. I, I think it's inconceivable. William Weld is a, a liberal Republican governor. Uh, it, it, let him come. Let him run. But he'll be a very lonely fellow on election night. Um, Bruno? I, I'm in complete can, can he rough him up? Can he rough up the president um, in a let, Let's put it this way. I've seen Weld uh, on the stump. I actually think I met him once um, or shook his hand or saw him at a conference somewhere. Um, he's a sharp guy. He's no idiot, um, and he's very articulate, and he knows facts and figures. Um, is he going to put a dent in Trump's support among the GOP now? I mean, the GOP is now a Trump party. It's going to be a Trump party until Trump is gone. Um, and so could he uh, make some points? And I think the biggest thing he can do is if he roughs up Trump in any way, he can, he can convince some Republicans to vote Democratic in the, in the, uh, in the uh, general. But does he stand a chance against Donald Trump? Not a single one. I would have. I would imagine there are millions of people that are, you know, are been lifelong Republicans that are appalled at the brazen corruption coming out of the Trump administration and the parade of indictments and the clear family wealth generation activities that want a chance to say, for whatever reason, I don't want to join the Democratic Party. 
I'm a Republican. I always will be. But I'm disgusted at the president, and I want a chance to vote against him. And I think he's going to serve a useful purpose for those millions of Americans who feel that way. Fifteen percent, ten to fifteen percent of the 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 primary electorate. Let's go to Cleveland, Ohio. Anthony is listening to us tonight on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Go ahead, Anthony. Yes, hi. Thanks for having me on. This is a great show. I'm really enjoying listening to you guys. Um, I just wanted to point out, uh, you're talking about coal as a uh, dying form of energy. I just wanted to point out that coal is dying because natural gas is so cheap. Those plants, power plants, are switching over to natural, burning natural gas instead of coal. That's better. Natural gas is cleaner than coal. It's not as clean as renewables, but that's progress. Yes, very very much progress, but it's because of natural gas being so cheap and so abundant. The renewables are getting cheaper every year. Every year they're getting cheaper. And the more we spend on R&D, the cheaper they're going to get. God willing, all our windows will be uh, uh, solar panel windows at some point, which would be great. But coal is dying because natural gas is so cheap and so abundant. And thank you, especially thank with you the, fracking. Especially with the, with the, right, the, with the new uh, ways that they get natural gas out of the earth. Uh, it's, it's an amazing technological device. It probably happened only in the last five, ten years that it really got going. Anthony, thank you very much for your call. Uh, right, Dan, I want you to take a look at all the, 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 the field of Democratic uh, presidential candidates at the moment. Look at the ones that are not yet in that everybody expects for them to be in. And as I look at the ability of the president to get reelected in 2020, I look to three states. I look to Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Those were the surprise states that Donald Trump won. He obviously did well in Florida. He did well in Ohio as well. You might throw those two states in because there's always, they're, they're always, they are always close states. And you've got some new things uh, in Florida that make it more, might make it more yeah. difficult yeah. Uh, for Donald Trump. But look at Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Can you name the Democratic presidential standard bearer that, in your opinion, would win all those states from Donald Trump? Because that is who will be elected president if they can do that in those three states. So there's a theory um, that Kamala Harris is in one of the strongest positions to win the Democratic primary. Why? Um, being an African-American woman is very powerful. We like affirmative action a lot in our party. We think it's great, um, legitimately. Uh, And she's clearly qualified, um, and she's a a good candidate. Um, So besides the fact that being an African-American woman is is politically powerful and a good thing, she's also a a really sharp candidate. Does her relationships with Willie Brown, does that... Uh, make it more difficult? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But here's the other part. Um, As our party, um, as more of our candidates sort of embrace the the Bernie agenda, for lack of a better term, a more progressive agenda, and Kamala Harris largely has, that that avoids sort of the Hillary problem that she had, which was she was a centrist, right? And she was trying to move with the times, move with the party, but she had been a centrist. Um, I think... Do you, do you, most do you, but do you go back to my question. Yeah, to, so to do, the you, do you put her as the most likable Democratic winner in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania? Let's say yeah. she wins all the states that Hillary won. Right. She still isn't going to be elected president if she doesn't make an inroad. I would suggest the following. 
uh, African American turnout was down. Yes. In sixteen, and well, that's the key. It is a theory of how you get to two hundred and seventy, and I think it's in it's largely overlooked as a path to victory. Does does uh, Amy Klobuchar coming from Minnesota? No. Does that help in any of these states? I, I don't think geographic proximity does much. I think that's okay. overstated. Okay. Does anybody else want to take a guess at that? Uh, just that question. Like Dan is really progressive, and he really, really likes that religion. Here's the thing. the whole th- You run all of the progressives. Joe Biden gets in. Joe Biden is going to win the nomination for the same reason Trump won the nomination. All the progressive vote is split, and they go with the old white guy, and it's going to be two old white guys against each other. And Biden win? might I, win I, that. I, I think that... You're right in both cases that Biden has a has the best chance of winning, assuming he survives, and that he would he would be the one that could have a chance of beating Trump in all of these three in states. Those three states, especially okay. in those three states. I I agree with that. Uh, we are out of time. Thank you very much, Bruno Barron. Thank you very much for being Marty Garrity. Thank you very much, Dan Johnson. Thank we you. thank you all for being with us. This program is a Genevieve production produced in association with AM five sixty WYND in Chicago. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Sam Greenberg for their assistance in the production of this program. Until next week, this is Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. 
Financial advocates there for you. We, we put, put debt, debt in, in its, its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. 